You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home Abroad, and it's been a little while since we heard of any progress that's happening in Montreal with the uh, pro, uh, the Memorial Park that is uh, going to happen, and uh, that was with Cooperation of Hydro-Quebec, the City of Montreal, and the Irish organisations and the United Irish Societies. But since we had that conversation, uh, there has been some analysis done on bones that were discovered in an archaeological dig during 2019. And the uh, resulting findings uh, were of 14 people, and that was seven adults, uh, three teenagers, and four children. And uh, they were suffered from some fractures, bacterial infections, chronic disease, signs of malnutrition. And um, fascinating. And Fergus Keyes is here with me. We chatted with Fergus before. Um, Fergus, first of all, thanks a million for coming back. And, oh, you're and, very welcome. An exciting, exciting discovery, uh, and I would have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not really sure how much uh, your listeners know the background, but uh, basically, of course, over 6,000 Irish died and were buried around an area called the Black Rock in Montreal in the Montreal side of the Victoria Bridge. So about two years ago, REM, which are, is an organization building a brand new light transit rail system in Montreal, uh, contacted us and they said that their research seemed to indicate that one of the pillars that they were going to install might touch on the cemetery. They weren't positive, but they thought it would touch and asked basically for our permission. Uh, you know, we spoke to other members of Montreal Irish community. And after a little back and forth, we decided, first of all, they were digging on CN land. So there was nothing we could really do to stop them, but uh, we felt we should give them permission. So they came along to do about two years ago to dig this pillar, but to be on the safe side, they hired their own archeology span firm. Uh, I think it consisted of three teams of two working continuously. They also built a very specific basket that may be used in other archaeology studies around the world. Now, it was, it's quite an interesting basket. And what it did is that the archaeologists got in this basket, and then they started lowering it as they were digging for the pillar. And they did that all by hand, about 30 feet down. It was really quite crazy. And uh, then they invited us on the last day of this dig uh, to see what they had done and what was happening. And when we got there, they uh, they had already notified us they had found some remains. And when we got there, they told us they had found 14 remains. Now, you got to realize those 14 remains were found in a section of the cemetery representing less than 1% of the cemetery. And, uh, and they were able to – all of these uh, – Remains were properly buried in the sense that they were buried in coffins. They were coffins were about three uh, coffins deep in most places, one on top of the other, of course. And uh, then they told us they were sending them off to the laboratory. Now, what the plan was is it would take about a year for the lab to get around to doing all the testing. But of course, COVID came along and hit us like the rest of the world, so it took closer to two years in a year. 
And then they called us up about a month ago and they said, well, would you like to come to the lab? We'd like to tell you what we found. So we went there and it was, you know, it's not, uh, it's not my profession. And I've had no experience with this type of thing in the past. And it was absolutely amazing what they were telling us. So as you mentioned, they pulled out 14 uh, remains, some adults and teenagers and a couple of children, a couple of babies. Uh, they were able to determine uh, the gender, the very close approximate age of these individuals, uh, realizing, of course, some were adults. One was a, a lady over 60 years old. Uh, the rest were around 30, 40. And, for example, they laid out on a table a full skeleton. Most of what they found were complete skeletons. There were a few that were missing uh, bits and pieces, but in general they found so they laid out a full skeleton on a table and explained what they were doing. This uh, individual that they showed us was a, a young man, 15 years old. They could tell from uh, from the examination that he certainly was born or very early in his life developed a, a serious leg problem in his hip and, and knee, and that one leg had not developed as much as the other. So they came to the conclusion that he, and also based on uh, uh, on the configuration of his arm, they could determine that this young man probably walked with a crutch his entire life. Then they were able to also determine, well, I mean, when you look at that, you got to imagine, here's a 15-year-old boy who somehow survived the terrible famine in Ireland in around 1847, managed to survive the uh the famine ships managed to survive the gross ill uh, location, got to Montreal and then passed away. It really is, was, you know, it's kind of a sad story when you look at it. Um, so they, uh, they were able to determine a whole lot about him. And then in general, they started again giving us information that to me was just fantastic. They found, for example, corn probably Indian corn in the teeth. Now, we all know that Indian corn was sent to Ireland in 1846 to supplement the, the missing potatoes, um, but they found that actual corn in the teeth. So they say, fine, it's pretty much for sure that these are victims of 1847. You know, then they were able to determine by uh, finding various bugs and little insects that uh, it almost was sure that they were buried probably in August or September of 1847. Um, they, they went on with all kinds of other various things that they uh, were able to determine. And um, now the next step is going to be that they, this particular lab does not do DNA. It's not their thing. Uh, so they are taking samples of each of the 14 and they're sending them to a separate laboratory in Montreal that does specifically DNA. The, the idea being that somewhere around hopefully the end of September, early October of this year, they'll be able to give us a DNA profile of each of the 14 individuals. Of course, then the fun would be to take these DNA uh, samples and spread them through every genealogical center there is in the world 
hoping to find perhaps some descendants, either here in Canada, in Ireland, in the States, somewhere else in the world. I'm not really sure. With the big plan, if it works, is that the uh, when the memorial space is actually finished, which we hope to start to dig in 2025-2026, we will rebury these 14 individuals near the Black Rock and hopefully invite, if we find any descendants, we're not saying we will, but if we find any descendants, that we would invite them to the ceremony, of course. And um, the other thing they determine is most of these uh, individuals came from the south or west of Ireland. They were able to determine that uh, that uh, that thing. So it, it really, I mean, it's just fascinating, really. I mean, I'm only touching on it. They spent three hours and gave us a 20-page document, but uh, it, it's very, very interesting. Fergus, as you were speaking, the one thing that went through my head was this being video documented in any way, right? Because this is a powerful documentary. Um, and even the basket that you mentioned, they, the process that it would be powerful that four or five years from now that there was a video, video chronological record of what has happened. Is any of that being done? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all been uh, recorded. The other thing of interest that the uh, that they were saying to us is that um, the information that they're finding on these particular remains will probably go a long way to help research about the famine in Ireland. It, it'll provide additional actual information that people – you know, in in our case, for example, we knew the cemetery was about there. Uh, no remains have been discovered since uh, 1945. So we know now that definitely that cemetery is there. So that's just a little bit of add-on information and gives more credence to the to the project. Um, but but even in Ireland, like I say, uh, they'll be able to take some of this information. They also provide some information on the spread of typhus and the spread of disease in general, uh, all kinds of general documentation that the scientific community will be very interested to know. So it's not only very narrow to, to, to our interests, but it seems to be internationally interesting, according to the archaeologists. Um, you mentioned there that hopefully the dig will start on the Memorial Park as well. And while I think it's important for those who may not have realized that the Blackstone currently is between the two lanes of the highway. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, that I, I don't mean it facetiously, but you could be taking your life in your hands at times if you want to go visit the Black Rock. Absolutely, 100%. Now, again, the history, in case some people aren't aware of it, the Black Rock... The, the event happened mainly in Montreal, generally speaking, 1847, a little bit into 1848. In 1859, which was whatever that is, 12 years later, the uh, they were building this Victoria Bridge. Most of the builders of the bridge were of Irish descent. And they discovered some of the remains from 1847. Now, we're talking only 12 years, so it's probably pretty much in the public consciousness at that time. Mm -hmm. And they demanded that something be done to remember uh, these Irish. So this rock was pulled out of the St. Lawrence River. The bones were gathered and put in one place. 
uh, for as long as the grass grows and the water flows, as far as they were concerned. And the black rock was put on top of it. And it has its own history. It was moved. It was returned and all that. Then um, in around Expo, which happened in Montreal in 1967, uh, the city, the the road comes off of the Victoria Bridge in the city for some reason. It went back and forth. There was all kinds of arguments. Originally, they wanted to move the Black Rock. The Montreal Irish community was up in arms, said they're not moving it anywhere. So they kind of compromised on running this road on both sides of the monument. It's exactly as you say. I mean, you're taking your life in your hands uh, crossing the road. However, now on our project, the city of Montreal, at a cost of about $20 million, I think they said, something like that, they are going to relocate that whole road and bring it around, sort of like around the the designated area for the memorial space. So they're going to pull it up, bring it around, make other kinds of connections so people can still get to the Victoria Bridge, of course, but it's going to free the space so that Currently, that road actually runs over the top of the cemetery, and that's what we've always said. Listen, running over the top of a number of deceased Irish in 1847, we want to move the road. That sounds easy, but it took like uh, five years of negotiations or longer to get various administrations of the city of Montreal finally to come to the point and say, yeah, okay, you win, we're moving the road, that's it. Indeed, and, and that in itself is a powerful partnership and powerful recognition of, I guess, the long-term relationship that the Irish have maintained in the Montreal community, that, and it's that how deep and how important it is. And I know it's um, coincidental to some degree, uh, the program we had last week, we talked to Michael McBain, an Ottawa historian, who has uncovered that there is a burial space in Ottawa that had gone totally... Um, let's say, undesignated, and the, the process is now getting underway to start designating it. It's a public park where mm-hmm. back in 1847, four different churches were using it as a burial ground, and the Irish are still buried there, um, but not, it, it's not identified. So uh, that's a project that's un- getting underway here now as well. So I think we probably would be hearing in other areas, I, I'm sure it's possible along the St. Lawrence and along the Ottawa River, that there are other such areas that in time hopefully will be identified and can be catalogued and commemorated. Yeah, what we often say is that, of course, uh, a number of the Irish died, of course, coming across on the Atlantic, uh, but they also died in the Maritimes, mainly uh, around St. Andrews, I think. They died, of course, uh, 5,000 died on Gross Hill. Yeah. More than 6,000 here in Montreal. And then it went on to uh, Ottawa, Kingston, Cornwall, Toronto. Recently, yeah. I read something about Hamilton. Yeah. So it went right across. And one of the big parts of our project is in Montreal and in all of these other communities, pretty much. But in Montreal, for sure, a number of people, regardless of their language, their religion, their culture, their heritage, everybody from British soldiers to the First Nations went to provide help and comfort. Many of them gave up their lives. The same thing happened, of course, in Toronto, and I believe in Kingston, a few people passed away who were caregivers. Yes. So as far as we're concerned, and we made this statement on a number of occasions, and absolutely no one has ever come back to us to say it was a, a different story. Our, our, 
The statement is basically that this was the greatest humanitarian effort ever in Canada, ever. Uh, there's no other situation we ever find that people who are not of the uh, uh, they weren't of the same heritage of the people who were dying. Many of the people that went to help the Irish had no Irish connections. Mm -hmm. Many mm -hmm. of them were French speaking, etc. So yeah, it's really uh, it's a big, big story. I mean, we concentrate, of course, on our Montreal section, but certainly in Ottawa there was something. And then you didn't. I know you did mention near Saint Andrew, Court, Partridge Island. Um, yeah, and that that area as well. Unfortunately, I read, I remember seeing that it's not accessible, and it's got to do with. Uh, I don't know, is it radon gas or is it it's it's some environmental issue, which is yeah. it's unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I also understand, if I'm not mistaken, that the burial is on private property. Somebody actually owns the island. Or something, All right. It, right. They're not arguing about it. They they would. That's fine. But uh, it's just a little bit different in our in our case. Of course, it's public property, uh, right. well, public uh uh, where we're building the park is actually uh, hydro. And as you mentioned, I mean, the, you know, you get impressions of Hydro-Quebec. They're a big, big company in Quebec, obviously. They're supplying all the hydro. You think of them as being faceless bureaucrats who really wouldn't give a damn about anything. But in reality, they have been, they have gotten so involved in this project that sometimes they say some of them are more Irish than I am. I mean, now they're really in the middle of it. The same is true for the Ville de Montréal, the city of Montreal, exactly. Uh, the people who have been assigned to this effort are very, very much involved. And when we talk about the dig, you know, we're a small organization. There's no way we could have hired archaeologists, built a basket, dug down, went to a, a laboratory, did all the research. Now going to, We could never have done it. I mean, we could never raise the funding to do this stuff. But REM has paid the entire shot from A to, to Z. So, I mean, it's amazing. I can only imagine the goosebumps that must have been there when you were going down the basket. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was really, you know, the problem is that when when I say 6,000 people died in Montreal, it's a statistic, it's a number. It's, you know, it comes across 6,000, wow, that's a nice number, but it's a number. And it's men, women, and children, but it's a number. But when you actually see the skeleton of a 15-year-old boy and know a little bit about his history, now he's an individual and all the other 6,000 were individuals. So, yeah, it, it really produced, a, 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 yeah, goosebumps, I guess, would be the best way of describing it. It was uh, very emotional. Fergus, we'll, we'll wrap up there, and I, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's wonderful to connect with you again and catch up, and we will keep in touch because we do want to know as things progress and as the reality becomes closer, yeah. we're aware of that it becomes closer, and um, hopefully when the official opening ultimately happens, that it encourages people from not just Montreal, but Ottawa, Kingston, Cornwall, as you mentioned, that mm -hmm. it becomes a rallying point, particularly on the official opening day, that uh, there's major participation. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a million, Fergus. Thank you, and I'll speak to you again at some point.